Colleagues, welcome back to the office. We're going to get started with our presentation here just in a moment, but before we do, I have a couple of brief announcements to share with you. First, if you're watching our course live, please note that we'll confirm your engagement through polling questions uh, that you can respond to. Polling questions will occur about every 12 to 20 minutes, and please keep an eye out for them because they might not be announced. If you're watching after the fact it's a self-study course, you will confirm your participation and engagement with our course today through a brief quiz that you'll complete on cpetoday.com after watching or listening to our presentation today. Your completion certificate will be sent to you by email. As long as you respond to 75% of the polling questions, if you're watching live, you will receive full credit for today's course. If you're watching after the fact as a self-study course, please note your certificate will be available to you immediately after passing the course quiz. We'd love to know what you think of our content and of our presentation today. If you wouldn't mind completing our course evaluation to provide your thoughts and feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, your feedback is used to help produce better and more insightful courses for you to consume in the future. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. If you're watching live, feel free to use the chat dialog box to ask your questions to the presenter. And if you're watching after the fact, you can send us an email at support at cpetoday.com and we'll follow up with you as quickly as we possibly can. As a reminder, the CPE Today podcast is available as a joint effort between CPE Today and K2. Twice a week, we're bringing you the latest and greatest in technology, accounting, business knowledge, and more. You can watch for free on cpetoday.com, YouTube, or Facebook. If you can't make the live presentation, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and listen to the show on your own time. All of our podcasts are eligible for CPE credit. After watching or listening, you just head over to cpetoday.com. You complete a short five-question quiz, and you'll earn a credit for watching or listening. Now, if you've never tried one of our classes before, how about you try one on us risk-free? You can use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to make any podcast course of your choosing 100% free. We're going to get started here with our presentation. And again, thank you so much for being here. We hope you enjoy the show. Colleagues, welcome back to the office and welcome to our presentation for today. This is K2's Everything Google, their most effective tools, apps, and services. My name is Steve Yass. I'll be your instructor and presenter for today as we examine some of the most commonly used features, functions, products, and services of one of the largest technology companies in the world, Google. Now, in this class, we are going to be looking at some of the business functionalities, some of the search capabilities, some of the major features and functions. Uh, and frankly, when I was putting together this course, it was so difficult to try to determine what to include. Uh, there was no shortage of material to actually write uh, because Google is a collection of like 200, 300 different uh, individual companies. And even within that, there are thousands of features and functions to consider talking about. Uh, but I tried to pick some of the major things that I think are of most business use and effectiveness and stuff that I think that you could probably uh, be get a lot of benefit from learning on how to use more effectively. Now, we're going to go ahead and start our discussion today, uh, which is going to be Google security and privacy tools. Let's go ahead and get started. In this next section, I want to go through and talk through some of the Google security and privacy. And this is by no means a exhaustive discussion on the security and privacy requirements of Google. Uh, frankly, they are quite extensive, but rather I want to point out a couple of unique things with respect to Google security and then some best practices I would also encourage you to consider following. 
Now, Google has their My Account section, which is where we're going to go take a look at here in a moment. Uh, and from this Google account section, you have the security center. And from the security center, uh, we have the ability to be able to configure um, some of the uh, options as it relates to security in our account. Now, beyond the individual like security of your account, I'll point out some of this as best practices as well. Um, what I mean by this is, is that like certain things Google can't fix for you. Like, for example, like sharing of passwords or... Um, you know, for example, uh, clicking on links inside of email, they do certainly a lot, but, um, they're not going to do everything. So I would tell you with respect to the security for your account, it's going to be a comprehensive review of, uh, some of the major, um, best practices of today. Uh, I would tell you the best way of securing not only your Google account, but really kind of any account use long and strong passwords, multi-factor authentication, as we'll talk about here in a moment and more to kind of help reduce your risk and exposure as it relates to um, your specific threats. Uh, and I'll point out with respect to your your um, account security, I mean, it's up to you. I mean, Google, thankfully, is going to force you to make some good security decisions, but they're not going to force you to make all the security decisions. And it's really kind of up to you to properly um, review your account settings on a regular basis and then properly lock down that account accordingly. Okay. So here are some of the security recommendations from your account. And then we're going to hop over and take a look at uh, some of the stuff you can do here. So they've got this thing called the security checkup, which will review the different aspects of your uh, Google account and make recommendations uh, that you can do to kind of more secure your account as well. Okay. Update your software. Often what I tell people with respect to security, if you were to do one thing and one thing only as it relates to uh, helping to improve your um, privacy and security in the world, frankly, it's, it's to keep your devices up to date. Now, hopefully you do more than that. Hopefully you, uh, for example, are following, um, you know, standard procedures and contemporary practices, doing things such as, uh, you know, using anti-malware, having a firewall, but so much of uh, data breaches today and ransomware this today, it really specifically focuses on out of date and older software. And if you happen to keep your devices up to date, you're going to significantly reduce your uh, risk and exposure, especially as it relates to things like malware. Uh, whenever possible, use unique and strong passwords. The best practice here is to always uh, utilize your um, password manager, you know, preferably a password manager. I'll point out Google has one included in, in their browser, which we'll talk about here in a little bit later. Personally, I don't really recommend using the browser uh, password manager, and I'll explain that a little bit later on. I recommend use a third-party tool like LastPass, Dashlane, RoboForm, uh, KeePass, or something else. Um, although if you're just ready to use Chrome's, that's not the worst in the world. Uh, it mostly comes around the fact that you're probably not going to just use Chrome's browser, but rather use Safari on your phone, or you're going to use, uh, um, you know, maybe Microsoft Edge or something else. Um, I would tell you to be careful about browser extensions and services. I'll talk more about the browser stuff a little bit later on, but your browser, it's one of the major attack vectors that the perpetrators will use to try to infect your computer with malware. And so if we can, um, protect the browser, we can significantly reduce our risk of a data breach, um, because that's one of the major ways that the bad guys will get in. And practice good due diligence about your messages, about content, about clicking links that you shouldn't click on that could potentially contain malware, okay? And you can check this out with respect to um, some of the best practices that Google provides.
But let's go ahead and take a quick look here at one of the major Google account services, which is the Google account settings itself. So if you'd like to try this out, you can go to myaccount.google.com. I'll point out that if you are, um, you have to have a Google account in order to be able to access this page here. And again, I'm on my demo account. And I want to point out that this is going to be where you're going to do all the configuration as it relates to your Google services, this is where you can adjust your, your personal info, like your name, uh, just uh, your dates and passwords and things of this nature. Uh, but really, I want to focus on data and privacy, security, and then people and sharing as well. Let's go ahead and take a look at over here under our data and privacy. Okay. As you're working throughout this solution, it's going to point out when there's certain recommendations that you could do. You know, for example, here for this privacy section, they've got this inactive account manager. So what happens if you stop accessing this account? Well, they've got a little plan that you can walk through here uh, that, for example, will allow you to notify someone in the event that uh, your account is being inactive before it's ultimately deleted. Okay. Um, really, I think what this would, for example, address is if you were incapacitated or you were to pass away, like what happens to all of that data? Okay. In fact, this is a relatively new service, uh, or at least it's new to me. I didn't even know this was here up until uh, when I started planning for this course. But you can walk through this, and it's going to, for example, have different uh, uh, people, like after three months of inactivity, do this, beyond that, what to do, and then ultimately decide whether or not your account should be deleted. And if you're like me, I've got photos, I've got years and decades worth of email and documents. I'd want to make sure that that account was never lost. And if uh, something were to happen to me, I don't think it'd be necessarily of interest to my family, but there's probably important information they'd want to pull out of that account. And I could eventually assign that over to my wife um, so that she could access that information in the event of my passing. Okay, some of the other things that you should be aware of, privacy settings. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later on, but you've got what we call web and web activity. You've got your YouTube history, your location history, more on that here in a little bit. You can come down here to your ad settings. Um, you should note by default, this is enabled, ad personalization. I personally recommend that you turn this off, okay? It's not going to reduce the number of ads that you're going to see, but what it will do is it will, in a lot of ways, reduce your exposure for being tracked on the web. Um, and you're not going to see as relevant uh, stuff, but at the same time, they're also not going to be reading the, you know, the different things that you're looking at on the web and more. So I personally recommend that you, you turn that off. And if you want to fine tune it, there's some advanced settings here as well. But I tend to be a little bit more privacy focused. So I personally would recommend that, uh, that you turn that off. Okay. They've got other information related to their specific products like Google fit. Uh, you have other information about what profile information is being made public for you. So for example, your profile information. You notice when you type in an email for somebody that has a Gmail account, like if you typed in Johnny here, it's going to pop up with his avatar. And if you wanted to, you could uh, decide what is exposed and what is not exposed with respect to Johnny, as well as what public information, work history about. Generally, I would tell you not to expose that information if you can avoid it. Okay. You can come down here and you can also determine what information is going to be shared across different apps. Um, there's even a way to download all of your information, which I'll talk about here in a moment. 
So here is a little bit about your data privacy. Let's talk a little bit about your data security, okay? So inside of your data security, again, they've got some recommendations, some tips. These are usually pretty helpful and will give you some examples of some things that you should probably consider addressing as it relates to your privacy. But let's just go ahead and dive into a couple of these here. So first and foremost, password. It'll tell you the last time that your password has been changed. I'm gonna point out, it used to be the recommendation that you should change your password all the time. Uh, in fact, that's no longer the case. Uh, if you have a long and strong password and the service that you're utilizing locks you out after a certain number of attempts, like you can try three times and it locks you out or rate limits you so you can only try so many times per day, you actually don't need to change your password as frequently. Uh, and in fact, there's been a lot of evidence that has shown that having a long and strong password that uh, the user can remember and is memorable to them is actually more secure than constantly requiring them to change it because we tend to make really bad security decisions as individuals. You know, if we we're constantly required to change our password, you know, it was uh, Steve123, well, next month it'll be Steve124, then Steve125, so on and so forth. Uh, so in fact, you don't need to change your password as frequently. Just make it long and strong. And better yet, consider using a password manager, which we'll talk more about here a little bit later on. Okay. Now, I super recommend two-factor authentication. Okay. Lots of different ways that you can choose to, do, do, to use two-factor authentication. Uh, but ultimately, with two-factor authentication, you can use Google Authenticator as your example here. Um, but what this will allow you to do is to require a password above and beyond um, above and beyond the actual account password itself. You have to provide two methods of being able to get in. And somebody would have to, for example, steal your physical phone where that code is being sent, or in this case, the authenticator app and be able to compromise that to be able to get in. And that's just not realistic. Okay, in here, I've got two-factor authentication on. It was on since the moment I created this account. Uh, we could see that with authenticator, it's gonna create, um, and you're gonna use your phone. I'll talk more about that here in a minute that'll generate your codes. You could set up a backup phone number as well. You could even create backup codes in the event that you lose access to this account. And they've got several other different methods here. Google prompts, you can use a security key like a YubiKey uh, to be able to secure your account and more, okay? So highly recommend that uh, two-factor authentication. I, if, number one, keep your devices up to state. Number two, utilize two-factor authentication. Now, you can also do and create special app passwords. Um, you probably, most of you aren't going to need this. Uh, what this is probably going to do would be if you needed to create a special password for Outlook to connect your Gmail, if you had a third-party tool that you wanted to be able to grab, maybe your Google Calendar or Drive, uh, you can create special passwords uh, for those specific devices, and those passwords will only be used by that one device and that one device only. Okay, and so what you can do here is you could specify specific things. So I want to provide access to my mail and I want it to be able to log in on my, my I guess, BlackBerry. Let's just use that for novelty's sake. And this will generate a one-time password that will be used for that one device to be able to access the mail, but it will not um, allow anything else. You only need to do this for devices that do not support two-factor authentication. And this is actually one of the very few services uh, that still allow um, for those less secure methods for, uh, for using. I would tell you to minimize your use of this whenever possible. Okay, you could set a recovery phone. You can also set a recovery email. In this case, it's going to our company here. So if we needed to get access to this, we have a couple of abilities to be able to do this. 
okay, we could specify certain devices that have access to our services. So in this case, I could specify my Windows devices. I'm in here. Uh, I could also specify what third-party tools have access to my account. Uh, so you'll see here I've got Calendly, that calendar service. And what does it have access to? Well, it has access to specifically my Google Calendar. And you can click into one of these, and it'll tell you what access it has and what information it can, it can get about you. And at any point, you could revoke access, and it will no longer have the ability to access account from your Google. I would personally recommend that you review your security procedures here at least annually. Double-check, make sure all the third-party tools you still are using, that you're not just, for example, having something mapped in that's not of value and not of use. Now, there's also this new thing called Enhanced Safe Browsing. This is actually a feature of Chrome. We'll talk a little bit about this in a minute, but this is a feature that you can turn on that will provide even more enhanced protection against dangerous websites, downloads, and more. And it works in conjunction with your Chrome settings uh, to ensure that it's filtering out potentially bad stuff that you don't want to click in, okay? Now, other features in here, you can use Google to sign into other services. We call that SAML or sometimes single sign-on. So if you want to be able to allow to other apps to be able to sign in using your Google account, like I can with Calendly, what's nice about this is that you uh, don't have to create an account for that service. You can do just one-click login. It uses your existing Google username and password. Now, generally, I personally prefer, or I'm sorry, I personally avoid using single sign-on. The biggest reason is, is that if there's something to happen to your Google account, I don't want to necessarily cause other services and sites to be able to also experience a, a breach of some sort. Uh, but rather, I personally prefer to confine my resources to one login, one site. What do I mean by that? So like, let's say, for example, you were to go use Zapier, which is a wonderful integration platform tool for um, kind of creating uh, integration between different services that you're using. Well, Zapier, as with many of these services, they support, you know, the ability to log in with your Google account. So you can click one link and click this login with Google, or you can log in with your Microsoft account. And instead of creating an account on the service for Zapier, you know, it uses my Google credentials. So if I click this as an example, it's going to say, hey, do you want to connect your Google account to this? Now, Zapier, perfectly fine, normal service. I got nothing to, uh, to mention. Um, you know, nothing negative to say. I'm just using this as an example. But generally, I tend to be a little bit more security conscious, and I generally avoid trying to do this particular approach. I don't, I don't recommend you do it. Um, best practice, one account, one login, and that's just the way it is. Okay, so just be aware in your My Account settings here, there are lots of security features. Might seem kind of bored, um, but I'll tell you, this really does have a big impact on your security, and it's something that's worth reviewing at least uh, once a year, if not more frequent than that. Now, a tool I want to talk to you about with respect to security uh, is a tool called Google Authenticator. Now, Google Authenticator is a service that we can ultimately use to provide two-factor authentication from our Google account to any other service. Now, Google Authenticator is a Google product, uh, but it is by no means only restricted to utilizing uh, Google services. Um, you could use this tool, for example, to provide authentication to Microsoft 365 or really any other website that requires two-factor authentication. And what this tool does, it allows you to scan a QR code from a website that'll say enable two-factor authentication. It'll usually pop up a QR code. You scan it with your phone and then uh, the phone will then be linked to that account and then you can generate your codes uh, with respect to 
with respect to um, uh, that device, you know. So Google Authenticator is one of many products in this particular uh, realm. Personally, I use LastPass because that's the password management tool that I use. They all principally work off of the, the same thing. Uh, so with respect to this, I've got, and I've just got hundreds and I shouldn't say hundreds, probably about a hundred or so, uh, Google accounts listed here. Uh, sorry, a hundred or so two factor accounts that are listed here. And when I want to go log into something, I open up, uh, in this case, LastPass authenticator, but Google authenticator works the same way. And I just browse to the site and it'll give me like a number here, you know, so it might say in this case, six, three, six, four, seven, two, you know, and I'll look at that number on my phone and then I'll type that number into the website and it'll allow me to get in. Okay. Um, most of us, I think, are pretty familiar with two-factor now. But the reason this is so much more secure is that with a password, a password could be easily stolen through any number of methods, uh, whether it be, for example, um, you know, a data breach or, you know, maybe you fall victim to a phishing attack and you accidentally expose your password to somebody else. Uh, and that, that's, that can happen. I mean, that happens quite regularly. The reason two-factor authentication is so secure is that you'd have to not only have the password, but the physical phone where that two-factor code is either being generated by Google Authenticator or sent by text message. Now, if you could choose between text-based uh, two-factor where they text you the code or Google Authenticator or Microsoft Authenticator or LastPass Authenticator as an app, generally, I would tell you it's better to choose the app approach um, for lots of reasons. First and foremost, uh, it works whether you're connected to the network or not. Like, you know, if you're on a plane or you're outside of cell reception, uh, you're not going to get that text message. But if you have the Authenticator app, it'll work regardless if you're connected to the Internet or not. Uh, and frankly, it's just a better experience overall. But Google has their own. It's called Google Authenticator. And it's definitely worth a look. Now, another kind of cool tool, this is really kind of to maybe ex show you the quantity of information that Google has about you. You can actually get a copy of all your Google stuff. Uh, Google has their takeout option, which allows you to be able to export a copy of all the content in your Google account. You can either back it up for your purposes, or you can take it outside of Google and go get set up somewhere else. Uh, you can extract all of your emails from Gmail, all of your documents from Docs, download all your files from Drive, all in one place, and then ultimately use that information elsewhere if you so desire. The data can be downloaded directly or can even be migrated to other cloud providers such as Dropbox, OneDrive, Google Drive, and the like. And I use this as a way of really kind of just backing up my account. Um, you know, in the case that, for example, like my account, uh, if I were to lose access, you know, I still at least have a copy of that data. And from the takeout option, this is a way that you can be able to back it up. Or if you're not happy with Google and you want to, you know, you want to, uh, you know, go your separate ways, this is a way that you can go ahead and do so. Let's take a look at it. Okay, so we're on takeout.google.com. And from here, <clears throat> you can go ahead and you could browse and create an export. So in this particular instance here, we can see all the different products that are included. And there are a lot. Uh, so in this particular, again, this is a demo account listed. There are 41 different Google products that this account is touching. Okay. Uh, so, for example, it is touching Google Art and Culture, Google Calendar, Chrome, which includes things like bookmarks, library, and more. Okay. Uh, we've got Google Contacts, Crisis User Reports. I don't even know how that's possible. Uh, okay. You know, Google Business Profile, Google Hangouts, Google Play, so on and so forth. You could select the different products that you'd like. 
And if you come all the way down to the bottom here and you click this next step, you can then choose to download them. And you can choose to download them and send you a link by email. Okay, alternatively, you can go ahead and add it to a different third-party service, Drive, Dropbox, OneDrive, or more. Okay, you can do this once or you can do it every so often if you want. So every two months for a year, it'll send you a, a copy of your data. In terms of your file, you're really only going to get two options, a zip file or a uh, tar file, tar and gzip. This is mostly going to be for your Mac and also your Linux and Unix users. And you can also say how big the file should be. Uh, for me, when I downloaded my data the last time, it was in the terabytes. So uh, I could tell you it, it could be quite big. Okay, so here is the last time I did this. I did it a little bit ago and I could just download this file and I would open this up. Okay. And if we were to look inside of here, you're going to see the individual files related to this Google account. So if we came over here and we were to go look at our calendar, we're going to see an ICS file, which is a standard interchange format for calendars. Okay. If we were to go and we were to look at our mail here, we're going to go see an inbox file, which is a uh, collection of all the emails in that particular account. But you actually get the raw data itself. If you click this archive browser, it'll actually walk you through all the data uh, that it received and, and you can actually browse and view it yourself. But you always have access to your data with Google and I just have to give respect because other providers don't make it this easy to be able to get your data out. So I would recommend that you consider this as a good backup option. It's a good option for kind of mitigating your risk um, with respect to you know having all your eggs in one basket with one provider. And it's also just a good way to just see what kind of information you know this behemoth of a company has on you. Now, another utility service that might be useful for you to know would be the uh, ability to see your activity in your timeline within Google. Uh, Google tracks everything. Uh, they, we call it telemetry data. This telemetry data is being used for advertising purposes, is being used for tracking purposes and, and more. Uh, and there's two different types of, of uh, data you should be familiar with. There's your account activity data, and then there's also your physical location data. Okay, so the first one we're going to take a look at is myactivity.google.com. This is going to show you everything you've ever searched for. And Google positions it from the perspective of look at all this historical information, rediscover things. In reality, they're using this to create a marketing profile to show you more relevant ads that you'll maybe click on. Okay. And they also have the timeline tool. Anytime you search for something in Google Maps, uh, you upload a picture to Google Photos, it tags the location and it knows where you are. Okay. Again, I'm on a demo account here, so it's not going to be as as, um, as robust as you would see like on my personal account, but it, there's still a fair amount of activity uh, on these accounts. And I will point out that a lot of these activity tracking and location tracking, these are on by default. And unless you tell it not to, it's going to track your activity and it's going to go ahead and track your location. Okay. So just be aware uh, that these some of these services, and I'm not 100% familiar with exactly which ones are on by default or not, but uh, I don't really think they're doing you any favors by, uh, by improving uh, or limiting the scope of what they're tracking. So just be, be conscious of that. Okay, so we're in here with uh, myactivity.google.com. 
And from here, we can go ahead and we can see that web activity is enabled, location history is enabled, and YouTube history is enabled. So it's tracking the things I'm searching on the web and my activity within the Google Apps itself. Uh, it's tracking where I'm moving. Kind of scary, you know, but uh, we can turn this off. And then it's also tracking the YouTube videos that I'm watching. And so if we scroll down here, this is actually showing all of the search activity of the things that we've gone to. And you've noticed every single site that I brought up for you, they're all listed here. You know, the Google security check, the Calendly, Zapier, emails. You can see that it's searching for this, the date and time. And if we click on this, it'll actually show you what service, what app, and uh, what you did. So just be aware. Now, you can also delete individual pieces of feedback. You can delete your history. So if you don't want to keep it that long, you can certainly go ahead and do so. Okay, so if you want to be able to limit the scope, you can. Now, the other option here is this location history. Uh, location history will allow you and show you where your different devices are at any, at any given time. Okay, we can go over here and check out. This is a website called timeline.google.com. And uh, if I were to show you on my normal website, or I'm sorry, on my normal Google account, uh, you'd actually see all little pins here in the United States of everywhere uh, that I've been and uh, pictures and, and, you know, Google map requests and things of this nature. Uh, you'd kind of see everything and you could actually go back in time uh, with respect to uh, with respect to that. You can actually view and browse uh everything you know so if you don't want this what i would tell you you got to turn these features off and so in this particular instance you can come down here to manage your location history and in this instance you can go ahead and turn this off or pause it and it'll no longer track your physical uh, presence likewise if you don't want to track your browser history you could turn that off as well um, so that it doesn't keep that information so most people don't know these features are here. Most, of these pe most folks don't know the amount and the extent at which Google is tracking um, what you're searching for on the web, what you're looking at on the web, how long you're on the web, and more. Let's go ahead and have a review question. What is a great way to strengthen the security and privacy of your Google account? Okay, so what are some things that we could do to strengthen our, our privacy? Well, okay, what about using a password that's five to, ter five to 10 characters long and only contains lower characters? I would say no way, Jose. Uh, with respect to that, it would not be a good option that is not long enough and is not nearly complex enough. A password's strength is directly correlated to its length and complexity. So the longer and more varied it is, the stronger it would be. So I would recommend at this point in time, if it's going to be a password, you remember, make it at a minimum 15 to 18 characters long, if not longer. And if even better, use a password manager like LastPass, Dashlane, KeyPass, Zoho Vault, and others, and you never have to think about it to begin with. Okay, sharing your password with your family and friends. No way. With respect to this, we want to ensure that our passwords are confidential. And that a big piece of that security comes from not sharing it with other people. Uh, so I would encourage you never to share your passwords at all. Write your password down on a note and stick it on your monitor. Uh, no, of course not. That would not be a good option either. So I would encourage you not uh, to choose that option as well. The correct answer here is going to be to ensure your account utilizes multi-factor authentication with a strong password, okay? That's gonna be the best thing that you could possibly consider. So that's a little bit about the security and privacy of 
Google. Uh, I will say they do a pretty good job. I got nothing really to mention other than, you know, they track a lot of information. If you take the right uh, precautions, you can limit your exposure, but just realize they do have a lot of info on you. All right, let's talk about some of the other Google products that are out there um, that you might want to consider implementing, okay? Uh, Google Assistant. Um, this is Google's AI tool. This is a tool that you could choose to implement that would allow you to be able to ask questions. You can um, search for things. You can schedule things inside your calendar. Uh, you can find your phone. You can launch apps. There's a pretty big difference between like what you'll get from uh, Google on a Mac uh, I'm sorry, on an iOS device versus Google on an Android. It really feels that uh, Google on Android uh, does a lot more than what you'll uh, than what you'll get on the iOS. Although it's it's certainly got better, um, and you can use this Google Assistant with those Google Home audio devices, those Nest devices too. It's the same thing, and so these are a smart speaker you can just talk to, and it'll do stuff for you. Um, I use Google mostly on my using the Google app uh, on my phone. And so with the Google app, all I really have to do is just launch the assistant and I can ask it questions and it'll go ahead and do stuff for me, which is, uh, which is pretty nifty. Okay. And you can really kind of ask it to do kind of anything under the sun. And I'll show you a couple of examples here in a moment. Okay. But this assistant will work on your iOS device your Android device. Uh, although as I mentioned, it feels like it does a little bit more on Android because Google makes Android and you could also use it with that smart speaker as well. Now, one of the newest things that Google has added is this thing called Duplex, and it's not super widely available yet, but it's worth mentioning. Uh, it is a really nifty tool that uh, you can use to make reservations um, at restaurants and more, and it will uh, essentially go out and call people, call traditional businesses, and, and do stuff on your behalf by just, uh, just asking it to go do so. So, you know, as an example, I could call and, and make a reservation at my favorite restaurant here. And instead of me having to call, Google, through their AI tool duplex here, will physically call the, the restaurant, talk to somebody, negotiate a, uh, a date and a time for me to come in, like seating at 6, seating at 7, talk with the person, getting it scheduled, and then drop it on my calendar. So it's, it's kind of cool with respect to what you can do this for. So let me go ahead and switch over here. Let me show you the Google Assistant so you can kind of see what it looks like. So hopefully this pops up for us and here we are. And so uh, what you're seeing here, this is the same on my actual phone. And with this Google Assistant, I can just go ahead and ask it questions. Uh, so maybe I want to ask it a great recipe to, uh, um, for banana nut bread. So I'm going to enable the mic. Can you give me a good, <laughs> okay. I need a good recipe for banana nut bread. All right. And so it goes and it will receive and do the search for me from here. I can go ahead and click on the recipe I like. And in this case, it'll bring up a food.com article. I could ask it other questions. What is the sunrise in Paris, France tomorrow morning? So it'll go ahead and find those answers for me. I could also ask it something like this. Can you recommend a great pizza restaurant in Big Bear Lake, California? And it'll go ahead and find us a restaurant. 
And uh, in this case, if you ever happen to be up in Big Bear Lake, my personal favorite here is Maggio's. Really good. Now, I could click on side of Maggio's here, and if I wanted to, uh, I could even ask it to uh, maybe even call the restaurant and get some more information for me uh, and see when they're available. I will point out the restaurant has to uh, – they can opt out of this if they don't desire. Uh, but I will point out it's a really kind of convenient tool on behalf of the consumer. Okay, you can just ask questions, and again, Google will do it. So if we could say something like Maggio's Big Bear Menu – it's going to try to navigate and try to find that information for us. And if it can't find something, it even uh, call. So, oh, uh, let's see. Let's try just the phone number. See how it's kind of like a call and response. Um, you know, it'll essentially just uh, try to find us relevant information. But we could ask this if it was integrated into other products. Uh, we could also ask it to, for example, turn off and on the lights in our house, uh, adjust our thermostat, and more. And um, overall, it's a really useful tool. It's something that I think is pretty cool. And out of the virtual assistants, my preference is the Alexas. I really like those from the home device. But when it comes to mobile devices, uh, I really think that the, the uh, Google Assistant's probably uh, the best out there. And that duplex feature, I'm really hopeful we're going to start to see that not only for restaurants and for uh, hairstyle salons, but I would love, love, love to see this if it ends up working for... Um, the IRS, the Franchise Tax Board, or something else like that. Now, Google has several spatial products. Um, spatial products are mapping products, ultimately. Um, and Google has three. There's Google Maps. There's Google Earth. There is also Google, uh, sorry, not Google, but uh, Waze. Uh, all relatively do the same thing. They're just three different products with three different companies. Um, Google Maps is a wonderful geospatial tool for doing route planning. In my opinion, it's probably the overall best. I really like the fact that it has integration with uh, transit providers. So if I'm like in San Francisco or New York, I never know what bus or train to take. It'll just, it'll just tell me and it'll tell me the correct way to get there. Uh, I love the Google traffic, giving me real insight with respect to traffic on a regular basis. Uh, and they also have that Google Street View. And from that Google Street View, you can actually physically see uh, the place that you are going. And I think that's a really useful tool. As a guy who uh, I own an RV, and I often need to know if my RV is going to fit, if I can make a turn, I often am using that, uh, that Google View uh, look uh, to ensure that, you know, wherever I'm going to drive, I can actually get to. You know, but I use this uh, quite often, you know, especially living up in the mountains where we do, uh, you know, to figure out whether or not I need chains on the car, what kind of delays we're facing and more. Now, other products kind of in that same vein with respect to spatial, you've got Google Earth. Um, this is definitely going to be more of like a, a tool where you can um, do all sorts of GIS, geo. Um, geographic information systems like geospatial analytics. Uh, you can use this to draw and map and get really detailed uh, presentation views on anywhere in the world for that matter. And even places outside the world, you can actually explore celestial bodies, including Mars and the moon. They've got those completely mapped out, which is cool. Now, Google's other product, this is Waze. Waze is a community-driven navigation platform. Uh, basically, if you use the platform, you can use this as a method and manner to um, provide feedback to the community, like where, you know, there are traffic uh, accidents, where there's slowdowns or, you know, where there, there's a red light camera or something else. Uh, a lot of people swear by this tool. I, I've always liked it, um, but I tend to use Google Maps, I think, really kind of more than any other product out there. All right, let's go ahead and have 
another review question. Which of the following is not a mapping tool provided by Google? Okay. Well, the correct answer here is going to be all of the above are mapping tools provided by Google. Um, Google has several products, Google Maps kind of being their flagship product. Uh, that's kind of, let's get the most generic of the bunch. Waze is going to be more community driven. Um, this is a company they purchased probably about 10 years ago and uh, really kind of focuses on providing community feedback on routes and such. And Google Earth is a, a GIS tool. It's a tool that you can use to do mapping and geo-infospatial analytics on locations and more. Uh, so the correct answer here is all of the above are actually mapping tools provided by Google. And Google actually has a few more included as well. So individually, they're, they're not correct. The correct answer is all of the above. Now, Google also makes the widely most widely used internet browser, okay? The Chrome web browser is definitely the world's most commonly used internet browser. Uh, I personally love it. It's my browser of choice. And in fact, even if you're not using Google Chrome directly, if you're using, for example, like Brave or using Microsoft Edge, uh, in fact, you're actually using Chromium, which is the underlying technology that powers Chrome. Uh, Chromium is a is a open source uh, browser tool that you can use that will allow you to be able to surf and browse the internet. Now, Google makes a commercial version of this, which is Google Chrome, but Microsoft Edge actually is also built on that same underlying technology that Chrome is built on. And so they're effectively brothers to each other. Uh, maybe not brothers, let's say cousins to each other. And so there are a lot of tools and a lot of browsers <coughs> that are actually 100% based off of Chrome. Now, Chrome is um, open source, meaning it is the source code that makes the application itself is publicly available. Anybody can download a copy of it and modify it to its heart's content. And in fact, that's exactly what Microsoft does. Microsoft takes the open source version of Chrome and then they modify it and that's how they make Edge. Now, I like uh, Chrome because of the integration with the Google account. I like Chrome uh, because I think it's a fast, efficient browser. And I will also point out it is by far the most widely used browser. Uh, as a software developer, <clears throat> I can tell you when I build software, we wanna build stuff to the devices people are actually using. And so we tend to optimize our code to work best on Chrome and as do a lot of developers. And so you're probably gonna end up finding a lot of tools work better on Chrome than they do on other browsers. And that's pretty much to be, effect, uh, to be expected. So it's a free tool. Um, it's a great tool, really efficient to be able to use. It's fast and uh, overall, if you're looking for a good internet browser, this would be my top recommendation. <clears throat> Now, one of the other really cool things with Chrome is that it is extendable, meaning you can add additional tools and plugins and features to it to make it do more than what it uh, initially was designed to do. Uh, you can add extensions. One of such extension that I really love is this extension called uBlock Origin. Uh, this is a content blocker on the web. Um, and what you can use this for is you can use this to block unwanted ads, as well as potentially malicious websites from ever being exposed uh, to you while you're browsing the web. Now, uBlock Origin is solely focused just in uh, Google Chrome. Um, you can use this in Edge and Firefox and other places, but it's a great way of promoting better security inside of your account. And uh, it's a free tool, okay, uh, that you could choose to use. And it'll just make email, or not email, but um, 
ads just disappear. And also it will do a really good job of, of uh, potentially blocking malicious websites too from ever being exposed uh, to you as you work. Now to utilize this, really, you just gotta go to the web and you gotta search for uBlock Origin and add it to Chrome. So let's go ahead and try it out real quick. So I'm on Google here and I've searched for uBlock Origin. It's gonna take me over to the Chrome store. Uh, really kind of any of these Chrome tools, they all get loaded in the same way. You basically just go to, in this case, to the Chrome store and you click add on Chrome. Let me just show you real quick. Let's go to Yahoo as an example, just so you can see what the experience looks like without uBlock Origin. Okay, so in here we can see there's advertisements. There's one here, there's another one here. And if I continue to scroll through the site, those are listed. Simply, we're gonna click add to Chrome, add extension. Okay, it takes a second to install, we're up and running. And now we're just going to come back to this Yahoo site here again, and we're gonna go ahead and refresh the page. And what I wanna point out is all those ads are gone. So. Uh, if you're looking to do it for a way of reducing your risk and exposure with respect to advertising, uh, this is a great way to be able to do so. Now, I'll point out a lot of websites, for example, earn their revenue through displaying ads. So if you want to whitelist certain sites that you want to support, you're welcome to do so. But it's going to not only eliminate uh, ads, it's also going to eliminate a lot of sites' ability to be able to track you. And I can tell you from my perspective, it's an indispensable piece of kit uh, that you need in today's uh, internet world. There are so many incredible Google Chrome plugins. I've got tons I recommend. Uh, I really like this tool called Grammarly. I've got some information in the presentation you could check out. It's a grammar checker that really works well and effectively for Gmail and any other potential website where you're going to write. And I'd also really recommend that you include a password manager in your uh, services as well. You really can't make a bad decision with password managers, uh, LastPass, Dashlane, RoboForm, and more. They basically do three things. They are gonna store your passwords automatically, they're gonna generate your passwords automatically, and they're gonna share and sync your passwords with your other devices. And most of them will support a Google Chrome or Edge plugin, and frankly, you'll have a really good experience. And um, you can't make a bad decision. Um, there's so many different and useful products out there, and they're all pretty good. Now, another uh, tool that's worth mentioning from Google is Google Photos. Uh, Google Photos is one of my absolute favorite tools from Google. It's something that I use uh, every day. Um, it's a tool that you can use to not only back up your photos from your device, but then you can also use this to organize your photos using AI. You could search through your photos. You could store not only photos, but video and more. And one of the things I really like about this is the fact that I can find things in my photos that I didn't even know I had um, that are, you know, kind of memories from the past that I didn't necessarily uh, know about. And you can also search by location too. And it requires virtually no assistance um, to be able to organize, meaning it's self-organizing. It, it uses AI and machine learning to recognize uh, the metadata that's in the photo, as well as the actual contents of the photo to figure out where the photo was taken, who's in the photo, or do people recognition uh, and more. And it's a really, really, really compelling product uh, to consider using. Now, the other big reason I like it is it provides great backup to my mobile device. And so if I am on my, you know, snapping pictures on my phone, which frankly all of us are these days, this is my primary camera as well. 
uh, I don't want to lose it and lose access to my photos. And so I love the fact that I could be able to organize and get pictures really quickly and easily. Let me just show you a couple things that are kind of fun with this. So I'm here inside of Google Photos and uh, here, for example, is Winnie the Pooh, my beautiful uh, white standard poodle. And let's say I want to go find pictures of Winnie here, Winston the Pooh. I can click down here to search. I can go ahead and type in Winston. It knows I'm searching for Winston. And here you go. Here are all the pictures of Winston most recently. Uh, he didn't want to get out of bed the other day, so we made sure he was tucked in so he could get an extra nap. Uh, but um, this is a great tool to be able to uh, be able to organize your pictures and be able to pull things up. And one of the things I love about this is that I can search for the people in my life. It'll show me all of my family, my friends. So if I want to pick, find pictures of my my uh, my parents, my wife, my uh, my best friends from high school and college, I can do so. I can also search by places too. I could search for you know places that I've been, uh, whether they be, for example, uh, New Orleans or even local here in town. I can be able to go find those places, and it will back up all of my photos automatically. Uh, without me having to do anything and uh, used to be unlimited and unfortunately it's not unlimited anymore uh, but it is one of the best applications that you can consider using for organizing of your photos uh, you can do prints from your photos they'll print and mail you things if you so desire and you can also use this tool for um, sharing with your friends you can create galleries you can create albums you can create uh, all different types of uh, organization and then ultimately share those with other people so definitely worth a look. Alrighty, let's go ahead and have another review question. What is the underlying technology that powers Google Chrome? Okay, so as I mentioned, Chrome is a application of an open source pro product. Uh, and the correct answer here is Chromium. Okay, so Chromium is the open source product that Chrome, Microsoft Edge, and many other browsers are actually based off of. Uh, Microsoft Windows is where Chrome can run. It can run inside of Windows. It can also run inside of Mac OS, uh, but is not the underlying technology that powers either one. Chrome OS is a business tool and a desktop tool that you can use as an alternative to Windows, but it actually, even though they share a similar name, it is not the correct answer. So the correct answer here is Chromium. The others are services that can help run Chrome, but they are separate in themselves. Alrighty, so a couple more products to mention in the Google ecosystem here. Uh, Google has a wonderful translation product that you can translate from multiple languages, um, you know, seemingly like magic. Uh, what's really kind of cool about this is it can translate written words. It can translate websites. Uh, you can actually use your phone, and I've done this. Uh, you could stand with somebody, open up your phone if they speak one language and you speak another, and you can actually have a conversation with somebody and it will translate what you're saying into their native language and it will go ahead and uh, translate what they're saying back into your native language. And so it's just kind of useful. And you can actually, uh, to, when you're traveling, and you can actually also use this tool when uh, you're at a restaurant, you can actually hold your phone up and the camera, when it turns on, will actually translate the written word of what that of what that menu says uh, into in this case English for me, but it'll go between multiple different languages uh, that are out there. 
So really kind of useful tool. If you find yourself being abroad anytime soon, you don't speak the language, uh, you could use this tool to do just conversation. You could use this tool to translate street signs. It's really compelling with respect to what it does. Okay, the last product I wanna mention for Google is gonna be YouTube. And YouTube is a gigantic um, website and video streaming service, easily the largest in the world. Uh, it's humongous with respect to uh, what it provides. And I mean, this just seems to be the cultural zeitgeist of, of where content, is, video content is being created and posted these days. Um, you can find topics on pretty much anything. There are billions of videos on every imaginable topic. For myself, I tend to learn through YouTube more than anything else. I've taught myself so many skills from car repairs, plumbing repairs, carpentry, accounting topics, and more. And I just love it because people put content up all the time. In fact, I do. I, I put up, I have hundreds of hours of technology videos, uh, walking through how to do accounting stuff. And I just publish it for free on YouTube and you can go watch and check it out. So if you want to learn how to use Excel or you want to learn how to weld metal, I mean, YouTube is definitely going to be the place to go there. In fact, it's so gigantic. 2.6 billion people use it worldwide every single month, about 122, 122 million people daily. And there are over 500 hours of video uploaded every minute to this. Uh, and the average user will watch YouTube for over 40 minutes per session. So um, <laughs> My wife were here, she'd tell you how much I enjoy this product. But I, I mean, I've learned so much over the years by watching people, um, both for entertainment as well as education. Although I gotta say, I really like the education stuff uh, the best. So um, if you've never checked it out, it's definitely worth a look. You could find something of interest to you really on any topic you could possibly think of. So let's go ahead and have our final review question for the hour here. How many hours of YouTube videos are uploaded every minute? Okay, is it 100 hours? No, it's actually quite higher than that. Um, that would be probably YouTube's utilization in like 2010. Is it 200 hours? No, it's still quite low. Uh, is it 1,000 hours? That's a little bit more than what we're seeing, although I certainly expect in the coming years that it will uh, grow maybe to that amount. The correct answer here is gonna be 500 hours. Google's uh, YouTube, you know, it's constantly getting new features and new uh, new videos seemingly every single uh, minute and to the tune of about 500 hours of content are being added to that platform every single minute of every single day, 24 hours a day around the world. And so you could find anything about anything on that particular uh, product and service. Um, so I definitely recommend you check it out. There's definitely a lot of really cool stuff being added all the time from comedy stuff to education stuff to accounting stuff and everywhere in between. This concludes today's presentation. As a reminder, if you're watching or listening to our show on YouTube, Facebook, or elsewhere, you can earn credits by going to cpetoday.com and passing a brief five-question quiz. If you're a new watcher or listener to our show and you'd like to earn a credit, you can do so for free by using coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout. You can make today's class or any other class of your choosing 100% free with this code. Please consider reaching out and connecting with us on social media. You can subscribe to our channel on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook and more. Feel free to leave us a comment. Also, please consider subscribing to our show wherever you happen to receive your content, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and others. Thank you so much for being here. We look forward to seeing you back at the office the next time around.